everybody, and welcome to Solid Steps Radio. My name is Chad Russell, that is Kurt Souter, and he is with Further Still Ministries, and we've done this show now for a few years, and we've done a show called Solid Steps Radio for the purpose of we wanted to have men tell their story. The voice of men have a show by men for men talking about things from a man's perspective. Uh, when this airs, depending on when you listen to it, it could be a podcast, but as we're taping this and the intent of it first airing will be on and around Veterans Day. And we are doing a show today that's geared towards, and, and every year you always hear kind of a mashup. People, they celebrate Veterans Day, but then they also, Memorial Day is to remember those who have fallen, who served, but Veterans Day is really for all veterans who have served. We want to honor those. But today we're, we're kind of doing a mashup. We're, we're going to talk about those who have fallen uh, because we're going to talk today about a gentleman who is a veteran. And we want to thank him for our service. And Kurt, before we get started, you wanted to thank somebody. Well, and John, yeah, uh, thank you so much for serving. And your wife. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit. But I want to give a shout out to my father-in-law, uh, Bill Strand, who served in the Korean War and is going to be is 92 years old and uh, just a great warrior. And I'm just really proud to be connected to him. Yeah. So thank you, Bill Strand, for serving in our country. So we're going to talk today about something that you never probably thought even existed and didn't know about what do we do with those who have fallen, presumed to have passed away, but never been accounted for. We're going to talk to somebody today whose job is to help find those people. So, yeah, John Gantz, it's great to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great. So you, uh, let's, our listeners want to, uh, you served in which branch? Yeah, so I served in the Army, uh, enlisted in about, in, well, in 1999, and I did that all the way up until about 2016, both in active and reserve time. Okay. And uh, then you, you married your wife. Yep. And she, she's not from the Army. She's not from the army. She's an Air Force girl. Um, I give her a hard time all the time. I bet you do. Um, they operate on a different timeline than we do, and so for me, it's uh, sometimes it's difficult. <laughs> well, uh, I'm just grateful for all. Every time I see someone who has served in the military, like I just mentioned, my you know my father-in-law Bill, um, I'm just grateful. We we live in this free country because of people who have served. And, and many who have given their lives so that we could have freedom. So I'm just grateful, brother. Thanks you, thank you for uh, serving. And thank you for what you are going to share and what you are doing now. So uh, you um, are, are part of a team that does what? Yeah, so I, I work in the Army Casualty Office. The section that we work in is the Army Past Conflict and Repatriations Branch. So our mission, our goal is really to be, for me, it's to be a liaison um, to, uh, from other organizations and to family members who have lost a loved one in World War II, Korea, or Vietnam, um, and to help them really gain some closure as to what happened. And then in some cases, in a lot of cases here lately, um, we're able to recover remains um, and then give that service member back to their family uh, and then honor them in a way that a soldier is honored today when they're lost in Iraq or Afghanistan. That has to be incredibly fulfilling. It is. It is. It's a. It's a certainly a great moment. So you could, you can spend a lot of time with certain family members over a course of you know a year, two years, three years, however long, um, that they're engaged in this mission that we're doing, 
Um, and then to be able to go back to them one day and say, hey, we've located your loved one, we've identified your loved one, and we want to give them back to you. So, so how, how in the world do you even get started in this? Yeah, so I, uh, I got moved to Fort Knox in 2010 as a soldier, so I didn't look like I look today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> listeners, he, um, when he walked in, so I had never met John before. He is a dear friend of Chad's, and so Chad says, hey, we, we got to have John come in here. And so I am thinking of military cut, uh, you know, hair and all of that. Uh, John has a full-blown beard that's, uh, goodness, uh, almost six inches long. <laughs> He does not have a high and tight look. Uh, Let's just say that. Yes. Not, anymore. Yeah. Not, yeah. Anymore. Not anymore. Not anymore. Yes. And and uh, and by the way, just just real quickly, you um yeah, uh, you have a, a hat on backwards and longer hair, and you also lead worship. I do. I do. Yeah. <laughs> I love it, man. <laughs> so that's been a blessing in itself, and certainly uh, probably a story on how I've got to that point. Um, but yeah, it's certainly an honor to get to lead worship. Um, and and lead a congregation in song. Yeah, you're a part uh, of our church family, absolutely. and uh, you you uh, help help us uh, approach the throne of God, and uh, it's a it's awesome to have you. Thank you. So okay, so back to uh, what you do day in and day day out. How, yep. did, how did you get connected? Yeah, so in 2010, I came. I, I was moved to Fort Knox uh, as an active duty soldier um, in the Human Resources Command, but I was in the casualty office, and we were. I was working in current day notifications. And so what that means is, um, and it was, there was a lot of death and a lot of wounded soldiers being hurt or killed in Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, and so if a soldier was wounded, I would call their family and let them know that, you know, unfortunately, you know, your son was shot or lost a limb. Um, he's being transported to Germany to receive treatment. We'll give you updates every eight hours or so. Uh, and so we were calling the hospitals for those things every eight hours. And every time there was a shift change, that new person would call and then call the family and give them updates. Um, if a soldier uh, was killed, uh, we would set up uh, notifications from the local casualty assistance center or office to actually go out and knock on um, the wife's door or mom and dad's door or children, depending on how old they were, um, to let them know that you know, he's, he was killed. I, I, I'm sure that was very difficult. But I'm sure it's also, in a way, it's also you. You were, you know, as a as a Christian, sure. Um, you, in in one sense, it was a ministry. In a sense, um, certainly being able to um, find compassion in that, yeah, and being able to um, to not just call a family member and just kind of be, you know, hey, this is what happened. We'll talk to you later type of deal, but to kind of you know console them through this, and it's going to be okay, and we're going to give you updates and trying to do your best. I will tell you that it wasn't for everybody because we've had some other soldiers come into the office that would make those phone calls and the next day they're gone just because they couldn't do it. And that's not to boast or brag about myself or anybody else who are staying in the office. Uh, it's just not easy. It's not easy to make those calls. I'm sure. Yeah. You, you have a level of compassion, plus you have some history. Yes. You, you said your grandfather. To yep. talk, talk about your grandfather. Yeah, so my grandfather, for me... Um, wasn't the wasn't really a Christian guy, um, but was one of the greatest guys that I ever knew in my life. Uh, someone I really looked up to. He was a World War II vet. Uh, found out after he passed away that um, that he fought in the Philippines. That he got wounded while he was over there. Um, didn't know about that until after my grandmother told me something. So it was something that he kept a secret. 
Um, but I just loved, uh, I loved him very much and uh, just loved the example and how proud he was of his service. And so for me, it was uh, certainly an honor to join the Army and, uh, and say, hey, Grandpa, I'm, I'm, I'm following in your footsteps in a sense. Wow, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah beautiful. So um, talk about th- that difficulty of connecting. Before you're kind of doing what you're doing sure. now, calling th- that family the wife or husband or kids or parents or whatever. Yeah, it's um, certainly the first few. There was a lot of jitters, very nervous because um, you don't want to screw up that moment. Yeah. Um, but it's it's really, honestly, it's a little easier just to be open and honest uh, with the family member and try to give them as much information as possible, keeping them informed as to what's going on. Um, some soldiers get wounded and they can still talk. And so um, there's times when a family member would call and say, hey, I'd like an update and we can actually transfer them to Germany and let them speak to their loved one, to their soldier. Um, And some can't, some take a long time. Uh, Sometimes there's cases that come across your desk and it's a local case of someone who, you know, maybe you're not familiar with, but it's from your hometown. And so like, that's even another aspect in it. But I've seen a couple of those where like, you almost really feel um, for what that family might be going through because like that's local to you. And so like, that's a completely different other aspect to it. But, um, but I would look at those things. So, so, and, and that was the, the catalyst then to what you're doing day in and day out right now. Yep. So in the midst of all of that, I had um, met my wife and I realized that Louisville was probably going to be home. Uh, and so I decided to let my service time end, uh, and I started looking for another position. And so I found uh, the job that I'm in now, past conflict and repatriation branch. And uh, within that, so I ended up getting out of the army and then stepping into this role as a civilian. Well, we're going to hear more about the process because it's it's fascinating, and there's approximately uh, seventy thousand people who are missing and presumed dead in the history of since World War II up to today and we're going to talk about how does that process work uh, in the next few segments so stick around but thank you for listening to solid steps radio Uh, we want to thank our sponsors for the show ellen and credit union they are a local lender uh, financial institution that's been around the louisville area for years they help people commercial uh, private uh, you need a loan checking savings Ellen and Credit Union can take care of you. Vision First Eye Care, 11 different cities in the Louisville, Kentucky, and area, six locations in Louisville alone. You're more than just a set of eyeballs with Vision First. Uh, they will take care of your vision needs, contacts, glasses, go look them up. And then Frank Enterprises, if you have any septic tank, landscaping, wastewater management issues, if you got water outside and it's not going where it's supposed to go, Frank Enterprises can take care of you. Yeah, Kurt Frank and his team are awesome. You have used them for years. So, okay, so John, um, talk to our listeners about like the number of people that have fallen. I think Chad mentioned in the last segment, 70,000? Yeah, so that's that's all services combined. So you're talking Army, Air Force, Marines, uh, Navy. Uh, so you're upwards of 70,000. Um, but I deal specifically in Army cases. And so we're roughly around 43,000. Um, and to break that down a little bit, not having specific numbers, um, but in, in Vietnam, there's about 600 guys or so that are still missing that we're still looking for. 
Um, there's about, uh, I want to say the number's around 6,000 in Korea uh, that are still missing, uh, give or take. And then the rest is uh, Army, uh, World, World War II. War. Yeah, excuse me. The vast majority of them are World War II. What country are they? Where, where, do, you have, do you have a do you have that kind of broken down? Of kind of where you think they are? The the majority of them, or is just kind of throughout Europe and yeah. Pacific and yeah. So typically, you're going to find probably the majority of those guys in in and throughout Europe. Um, they're going to be plane losses. They're going to be just battles on a field somewhere. Tank tank losses. Um, you know, obviously World War II has a large number or larger number. And so a lot of those guys are, um, mass casualties. So if it was, um, you know, like an airplane loss where you got, you know, 10, 15, 20 guys going down at one time, um, you know, tanks where you have, you know, five, six guys in them. Uh, and then there's, ba- and then there's just ground battles where you'll lose guys in, uh, places like the Hurtkin Forest, uh, in World War II. They just, just a brutal battle. Um, that, you know, probably 120 guys lost their lives. And so we know like within that area, there's so many guys that are still missing. So I want to talk about the process of how you even begin to to go there. But before you do that, why is this so important to you? And why is this so important for the people and the family? Well, initially to me, like, uh, I think like most people, even in the army, I didn't realize that we did this job, that it wasn't, that that it was a job for me to be able to do. Um, but then I started realizing that um, that I personally affect the um, the closure that a family member could have on their lost loved one, uh, and so then it became pretty important. You know, it started to um, be more about how I can uh, help a family and provide them closure, provide them uh, documents or records, or even get them an, a purple heart that they weren't able to get when their loved one died because they weren't around to get it. Um, and so just little things like that are huge to a family who, um, you know, World War II, you have, you have children that are still alive. You have brothers and sisters that are still alive. Um, same with Korea. Um, Vietnam, you may have some parents that are still living. Um, and so for them to have closure or feel like people care about them um, throughout this process, because for us, yeah, those wars were a long time ago, but for them, it probably feels like yesterday. You know, for, you know, having to deal with the loss of a brother or a son or a husband, um, you know, it's, it's not hard, but to show that you care and that you're willing to spend some time to pull some records or get some awards. You know, we do it for a lot of family members, but to that one family member, it makes a difference. Oh, I, I can't imagine you guys calling a set of parents who lost their son in Vietnam and you call them and go, we have found your son. Yeah, uh, I mean, I can't imagine the the emotion behind that. There's quite a bit of emotion. Uh, some, you know, some family members take it a little bit easier because, like, again, they've it's they're still grieving and their grieving processes are different. Um, but because it's been 50, 60, 70 years, you've been through that initial shock of losing your loved one. Yeah. Um, but then, even after the notification of we found your loved one. Uh, maybe it doesn't sink in right away, but then when it sinks in, like they're elated, they can't believe it. They're happy to bring them home, to be buried on American soil. Um, for families, that stuff is important um, to know that their loved one is no longer in a in a strange place. Even though I think we believe our souls go somewhere else, 
um, you know, that their loved one gets to come home and be buried with other family members or be buried with other service members in a national cemetery or wherever they choose to have them. Um, that's huge closure for them. Yeah. Talk about the 90 some year old lady. Yeah. So, uh, there's a Korean, uh, war service member who was lost and I believe in 1951. Uh, so it was sort of earlier stages of Korea. Um, so this woman, uh, would come to our annual events that we have, we have in-person events and she would come every year to the Korean annual event in Washington, DC. And, um, she was elderly. And so she was already, um, you know, in her eighties and nineties in the early two thousands. But then even up until she was 95, she was still attending this meeting, uh, and really just kind of hanging out, looking for a little bit of information, or if she remembered a question that she didn't ask the year before, she would ask it. Um, but at 95 years old, she never remarried, uh, lost her husband again in 1951, um, and spent all that time just kind of wondering what happened to him. And at 95, we found him, we identified him, we gave him back to her. And then... Um, and what, what, hold on, what year was it that you found him? Oh, goodness. Um, she was 95. She was 95. Okay. So, yeah. so 2000 and... So this would have been 2015 uh, or 16. So we're about 65, 70, almost 70 years later. Yeah. Really. Yeah. yeah. So it was 2015 or 16. Um, we located them, gave them back. They were from LA, uh, California. And uh, about a year later, she passed away. She finally had closure. Yeah. I cannot imagine... My husband has passed away, and he has served this country. He gave his life for this country, and I've never been able to bury him. Yeah. And at 95 years old, she finally yeah. gets to bury him and have a proper burial. Wow. Yeah. I think That's, you said she didn't. they didn't have any kids that you're aware of? I don't believe they had any kids. I'm pretty sure they did not. She yeah. was just kind of on her own. and Wow. They were really young. I'm assuming that they were probably maybe 18, 19 years old when they got married. And, mm. Wow. Yeah. Uh, John, talk to our, our listeners about kind of the process of a, like a, you're going to go to France or you're going to go to, you know, one of the European countries and you're, you're just help them understand the process of what you do and then how that, how it starts and ends. Sure. So we technically take uh, a little bit of direction. We don't necessarily work for a DOD agency, which is Defense POW, MIA Accounting Agency. So we call it DPAA for short. Everything in the military is acronyms. Um, and so DPAA, uh, we kind of take some direction from them uh, and they will say, hey, we know there's a large number of losses in, um, in France. So I'll just throw that out there for example. And uh, because there's you know 40 guys that are pot potentially in this area, we're going to go after those remains and we're going to see what we can recover. Uh, they will go out and do investigations. They'll meet with the locals of those communities or their villages that they live in and say, you know, what have, what have you seen? Were you around at this time? Like, what, what can you tell us where some remains are at? Did you guys bury anything? Did you see any planes go down? So many different questions. And um, they, will, uh, they will build a case on what they think they can find uh, and then go back and do what's called a joint field activity. Uh, and actually do digs. And so they have uh, anthropologists that'll go out there, I think I said that right, and go out there and um, coordinate a dig and how deep to dig and, and um, certain styles of digging just to try to find remains. Um, when they find those remains, they bring them back to multiple labs. We have a couple different labs um, that DOD has, and they will process the remains. Um, they will kind of cut off pieces of the bone for DNA, 
uh, and they'll send that to uh, another our DNA lab that will try to extract that DNA and get a uh, sort of get a reading of what our what that DNA looks like. Um, my job, one of my jobs, is to uh, in communicating with the families, is to get them to provide DNA, and so I'll send them DNA kits to um, provide you know saliva swabs, and uh, and then we'll take that and send it back to that same DNA lab. And then they will draw comparisons of that to try to get matches. That's incredible. Uh, we're going to take a break because I think our listeners are going to want to know a little bit more about sure. just the details of that and the reward and the blessing as a, as a Christ follower, sure. as a Christian, and the, the blessing that you can be a part of in sure. our military families. That's awesome. Pretty special. So we'll take a break, come back in the next couple segments and talk more about the process. And there's probably all kinds of thoughts that run through your head. Mine was, you know, how much technology has allowed this to, to be a reality now. So we're going to talk have more questions and about the details of how this process goes here. So uh, stay tuned next couple of segments here on Solid Steps Radio. Uh, we want to thank our sponsors of our show, Louisville Podcast Studios, podlou.com, P-O-D-L-O-U.com. If you want to do an audiobook, a podcast, uh, a video show, video-based YouTube show, an influencer, whatever you are and you think you are or you want to be, this is a great place to do sound, audio, uh, video, you name it. They're the best you can get, P-O-D-L-O-U.com, podlou.com. Uh, Bright Star Home Care. If you have a loved one who needs uh, 24-hour care or one-day-a-week care in home, Bright Star Home Care can help you out with that, brightstarcare.com. And then Dan Hart Financial, if you want to retire or want to talk about what retirement looks like, Dan Hart can take a look at you uh, financially and say, hey, this is what you need to do, don't need to do, give you some good biblical wisdom on that. You know, Chad, you and I, we've been able to do this uh, radio show and Almost every Veterans Day, Memorial Day, um, you know, the freedom that we have Fourth of July, we honor that. Uh, it's just a, it's awesome to have soldiers come in here. And again, John, thank you for serving in our military and serving in the Army, and um, and thanks for what you do. You know, what your job is, and uh, so. Back to uh, a quick question that we were talking in, in, in between the break. You, you guys are able to find about how many bodies um, per year? Right. So prior to COVID, uh, that number was different. Uh, so Congress uh, had actually mandated that we try to shoot for 250 guys a year. Uh, and so uh, there's many ways that we get to that number. Um, but that's what they wanted us to go to. I think we were actually going to surpass that prior to COVID. Uh, and then obviously with COVID, a lot of things shut down. Uh, I'm no longer working in my office. I'm working in my basement um, just to try to continue working, but they didn't want everybody to come together. And so those numbers changed. Uh, they've dropped quite a bit, but we're still finding guys. Um, I, it's nowhere near 250, um, and, but it is picking up currently. But it's uh, I don't I don't know if we're even at a hundred guys right now, uh, just because COVID really set a lot of stuff back. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned in the, in between the break that uh, President Trump, when he went to Korea, mm-hmm. yep. um, uh, describe that. Yeah, there was a lot. Obviously, there was a lot of pushback in in that whole deal. Um, but to the past conflict families, 
it was a huge deal um, because North Korean government gave us back 50 boxes of remains. Um, we've got back boxes before uh, in the early 90s. It was like 200 and uh, 208 boxes. And in those 208 boxes between 91 and 94 ended up being over 600 sets of remains. Um, and then here uh, during the Trump administration, he got 50 boxes back. Well, we realized that in those 50 boxes, um, not me as in our office realized, but the, the DNA folks realized that those 50 boxes had more than 50 DNA sequences. So that basically means there's more than 50 guys in those boxes that we can account for. Um, whether they're all U.S. soldiers or maybe even South Korean uh, soldiers, we haven't figured that out yet, but there have been a couple guys that are U.S. soldiers that have been identified from those remains. Wow. And again, I, I can't imagine the family of mm. emotion, joy, um, sure. continuing to grieve and, you know, missing their loved one. But what a, what a, in, in many ways, what a blessing. Yeah. Uh, John, talk to us about um, uh, the buried unknowns. Yeah. So there were, uh, there's about uh, 10,000 unknown U.S. service members buried in uh, national cemeteries throughout the world. Uh, so we have some in Europe, uh, in Manila, in the Philippines, uh, and then also in the Punch Bowl, which is the National Memorial of the Pacific in Hawaii uh, that are buried there. So there's a lot of World War II um, unknowns, which are from Pearl Harbor bombings, and then uh, a lot of Korea unknowns uh, that were uh, recovered and brought back to that location. Uh, and then in, in Manila, you have uh, graves that are just marked unknown World War II, and then same in some of those cemeteries in, uh, in Europe. So they know it's a U.S. soldier. Yeah. They know they know that, but they just couldn't specifically identify Correct. that person. Yeah, a good example of that is there is there's a family, uh, a guy I've been dealing with for, um, he probably calls me once a month um, just to see if there's any updates, but he, um, he kind of pushed for us to look at a case a little bit differently because, believe it or not, family members who are really invested in their loss of their loved ones know a lot about the loss of the loved one. Um, and so he, he would pull up records and he would review them and he realized that his uncle, it was said in the paperwork that his name on the uniform plus the name on the initials that were in his pants of the uniform, um, matched the initials or it was on a belt as well. The initials matched the initials of his uncle, but because they couldn't identify him, they couldn't go off of the uniform itself. And so what happens is in World War II uh, if a guy uh, gets shipped home or um, is killed or whatever, uh, sometimes people would take other uniforms and they would share them. And so because of that, you can't 100% say that that guy is who he is, even though odds are that's probably him. So they had to bury him as an unknown. In the 40s, they didn't have the means of identifying guys by DNA. And so DNA is a huge thing for us today. Uh, and in helping us to be able to identify those soldiers. So were you able to, in, in this case, you're, you're this guy, were you able to bring closure? So unfortunately, this one is uh, one that we're still working on. Yeah. Um, there's other reasons why we can't. Congress tells us that we have to have like 60% assurance that that guy is who he is before we dig him up out of the grave. And because we can't, we don't have that yet, then we can't, we can't dig them up, unfortunately. And there's, there's many different things. You have to have a certain amount of DNA. Um, what do the records say? You know, and all, the, all those type of little details that they're looking for. Do you normally have 
a body that's found first and then you got to find the family or do you have a family contact you and said, Hey, our father or husband is missing. And then you got to go backwards to go find different bodies. Yeah. So it goes, it goes both ways actually. Um, so we are actively looking for remains and if that comes first, then it just comes first. Um, now the thing is we don't necessarily know who we're going to find. And so we may do all the finding of the remains, doing the DNA, Um, and then, uh, that higher agency DPAA will come back and say, um, we recovered remains from this location. It could be one of maybe 20 guys, 30 guys. Um, here's the list of those guys, pull all their information, go to their families, get DNA. And then we put the pieces of the puzzle together and start narrowing that down. Um, there's a lot of detail in the remains itself as far as what, what color they were, how tall they were, like they can tell a lot of that. And so that helps us with the records when we look at whether he was a white guy or a black guy or if he was 6'2 or (laughs) 5'2. And so that really helps a lot. Um, But then we do have family members that will hear like stuff like a radio show or see something on TV or see another soldier who was brought home and say, hey, my mom told me that uh, her brother was killed in World War II and I haven't heard anything about that. It's been 70 years. I don't even know what happened. And so they'll call us and we'll say, well, what's his name? We'll look him up, and sure enough, if he's in our system, then we'll put them in the system as a family member, try to get DNA from them, and uh, and start to build that case for them. So this way, if we were able to recover the remains, we can give that soldier back to them as well. So you have 43,000 in the Army alone. Mm-hmm. How many open cases are there? Everybody who's not accounted for is an open case? So um, everybody who's not accounted for can be an open case. We, we obviously can't actively work every case. Um, sometimes the cases, uh, sometimes family members help us to update cases or, um, you know, kind of go back and take a look at something. Um, but there's, so there's, there's seven of us in our office. And so, uh, because there's only seven of us, 43,000 guys is really hard to maintain. Uh, we try to do the best we can and we try to go out and have these conversations with family members or call them or they call us or emails every day. Um, so we try to stay on top of what we can, but it's, it's, it's a lot. Yeah. That's incredible. Um, talk to us about how you work with other countries. Uh, you know, I mean, World War Two, you know, Korea, you know, um, I mean, how does that work? Sure. So South Korea actually has an agency just like we do, uh, where they go out and they're looking for their own guys. And so they're really the only ones that are actively pursuing their own people. Um, and they will, um, if they find Americans, they will, they will work with us. And if we find South Koreans, we'll work with them and give them back. So we're pretty tight knit with them. Um, we help them get their kind of, kind of their agency going, uh, and kind of are helping them along the way, but they're, they're great partners. Um, a lot of other countries like war, um, world war II, the countries are very friendly. And so they're willing to let you come in, uh, and do digs and, uh, help try to find those guys for you. But it's not like they're not actively looking like South Koreans are. Um, when you get into the Vietnam world, um, it's a little bit different. So Cambodia, Laos, Vietnam, um, if you can come in with a lot of money for our agencies, um, then they'll help you out, unfortunately. Wow. Wow. So we're going to take a break, come back for our fourth and final segment and talk more about the process and a little bit more about why it really matters and, uh, why this is important, especially in regards to our veterans as we celebrate Veterans Day. So thank you for listening. We'll be back shortly for our final and fourth segment of Solid Steps Radio. We want to thank our sponsor, Southern Smoke Catering Barbecue. They are a catering-only barbecue company, award-winning. 
And if you're having an, a, a business, a wedding, some type of get together with a lot of people, you want to get a hold of Southern Smoke Catering. I'm going to get this website right. Southern Smoke Barbecue Catering KY.com. Southern Smoke BBQ Catering KY.com. Iroquois Family and Cosmetic Dentistry, Dr. Eric Veal and his crew. If you have teeth issues, you want to have that nice, pretty smile, you go to Iroquois Family and Cosmetic Dentistry. Dr. Eric B. will take care of you. And then Veritech Generators. If you have a generator need for your home or business, if you need to get maintained or a brand new one, they can take care of you. Hey, John, um, talk to us about um, you, you've now found the remains and just the process of connecting with the family and how all that works. Sure. So we get a call from uh, DPAA telling us that they've made an identification on a, on a set of remains. Uh, we have, I, I want to say it's 24 to 48 hours to call a family and say that we found and located and identified your loved one. Um, within that time frame, we kind of uh, let them know that we'll send uh, someone out. Once we get some more information, we're going we're to have like a booklet of stuff to sit down and talk with them about. But we'll send someone out to you uh, to whoever, whoever the primary next of kin is. So that's the oldest, closest living relative to that service member. Um, and that usually is determined by law. Um, and so whoever that person is, we'll come out one-on-one, sit down with you and whoever else you want to be there and kind of go through the steps of this is how they were lost. This is what we did to recover them. This is how we recovered them. This is how we identified them. And now that all this is done, we want to give them back to you. So they will assign an actual service member a current day service member called a CAO, a casualty assistance officer, to that family to help them with funeral arrangements, to help them with escorting the remains home, um, all of that stuff. Uh, and at that point, they will set up a date to have them buried in Arlington National Cemetery, a local national cemetery, a local family cemetery. Uh, maybe the family already bought a plot in 1950s, 1940s um, for their loved one that was never buried there. Uh, and so maybe that's where they're going to have them laid to rest. But they, that CAO will work with them. Uh, so this way they can have a full honors burial uh, as if you're a soldier that died today. So, so and it would be a 21-gun salute yep. and, and all of that. Yeah, covered everything up to an extent is covered by the military. Uh, so the military will pay for that funeral. Um, now, if there's anything that goes over that amount, then obviously the family would incur charges. But the government owes those families. It's their responsibility to take care of that. And so they will... Make sure that service member is honored. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Uh, you have a phone number in case any of our, our listeners ha- I do. would have information. I do. Let me get it pulled up here. Um, so this is for uh, any any of the listeners out there that um, may be a relative of a service member that was lost in World War II Korea and Vietnam. Um, maybe they never knew that there was an agency out there looking for those, ones, those loved ones. Um, or if they knew and they're just looking for some more answers. Uh, so we would love to talk to them, but that number is going to be 1-800-892-2490. One more time. 1-800-892-2490. Yeah, and, and folks, if as you're listening, if you know of someone and you can just point them to this podcast or this show uh, or t- just write that number down and pass this on to them because they they could have a, a loved one that has served in the military. Um I wanted to ask you, John, because I, I just think this is so cool that our country does this, and that you know our, our military. This is a this is a deep, you know, a, a, a real priority sure. for our people. Um, but as a Christian, yeah, for you, as a person who loves Jesus and helps lead worship at our church, and 
how does this affect you as a Christian, and how do you minister as a, you know, you're not a paid minister, but you are a minister of the gospel, sure, according to Paul. So, so in, in all transparency, sometimes it's hard in the office environment, um, because in the government world, it's hard to share your faith. So you have to really find and pick your moments uh, that, that it's available to you to do so. Uh, I do have a couple uh, close friends in the office that we talk often, um, and I just try to share my faith as much as I can with them, and they're open to it. So it's not anything that's frowned upon. Uh, sometimes when we meet with family members one-on-one, um, the faith connection, I think, is strong sometimes when you realize how a person lives their life or what they live their life for. Uh, and so some of those conversations can open up. I've certainly had conversations with people about what I believe and what they believe and shared some of that. I even shared, uh, because I lead worship, I've even shared songs with them and stuff like that. And, you know, we hit each other up every once in a while to see how each other's doing. So that's always great to build those relationships. I think for me, just really being able to live out the life of being a Christian uh, in those environments, whether it's, you know, with the, my coworkers every day or with... Um, uh, those family members that we're with, uh, I think it's evident that you know people will know you're a Christian by the way that you live. So, uh, so that's what I try to do. Yeah, yeah. I think it was uh, it, it's it, at least uh, credited to him. I think it was Saint Francis of Assisi said, you know, share your faith at all times, and if you have to use words, um, you know, use words. So, I mean, but that's our that's our job as Christians. We are to let our light shine. Jesus said, "You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth." And I know that's your heartbeat. And uh, um, do you ever have an opportunity uh, when you're connecting with families? Would they accept prayer, do you think? Uh, I have prayed. Have you? Uh, yeah, I have prayed. Uh, we are actually meeting at an event in D.C. And uh, it's kind of funny because um, my friends that I work with uh, know that I'm, I'm this Christian guy and, and, and I try to live out that life. And uh, one of the, something happened to one of the family members. Uh, her her nephew was, she was in DC that she was from Tennessee and her nephew was killed in a car accident. And, uh, first thing he did was come and grab me and said, I need you over here. We got to pray for this lady. (laughs) So it was, it was certainly an opportunity that I, you know, I felt grateful to be able to step into and just, you know, kind of provide her some comfort. Um, but then there's other times where I will sit down at a table. I actually, I wear a lot of, uh, Christian shirts or apparel or stuff. And uh, sometimes people will ask you about it. And so it's, it's always a means of starting a conversation. And so I've, I've got to sit down with family members at a table and just sit with them and talk about God um, and then pray for them before, uh, before we depart. So Cool. Very cool. You know, I, I, as we honor veterans and as we remember the, those who have lost you know, their lives and gave their lives for our country, you know, we, we think about Jesus and the ultimate sacrifice that he did and gave for us so that we can have eternal life. And uh, with that in mind, John, could, would you just pray for our, our, our guy listeners and um, that we would be men who uh, remember ultimately the sacrifice of Christ? Yeah, I think it's in, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's John 15, um, 315, where it says, no greater love than one that lays down his life for his friends. And, uh, and so for me, I think that really uh, exemplifies what you know the American soldier is and uh, and and how they go about it and certainly we wish that every one of those soldiers would be Christians and followers of Christ um, and and that might not be the reality but um, the sacrifice that they're willing to step into and make um, you know falls falls along those lines so certainly would love to pray yeah. uh, for those guys that'd be great thank you brother thanks All right, Father God thank you uh, thank you so much for me to be able to come and uh, speak with these gentlemen today and just have this conversation about uh, 
service members that have given uh, the ultimate sacrifice for their country, but honestly, we're not able to uh, to make it home. Uh, that we're not able to provide closure to uh, their parents, brothers, children, um, their loved ones that um, that just wanted to be there by their side uh, as they buried them or uh, went through this process um, with them. God, I pray for, uh, I just continue to pray for those souls that are out there that um, that the people that are doing this mission, that are working this mission, that could uh, really put forth the effort to bring every single one of those guys home. Uh, I know it may be a long process, process, God, but I just pray that you're there through it all. Uh, God, I pray for uh, the men uh, and the women, the veterans that uh, that would be listening today. Um, you know, maybe they didn't even know that this was um, something that uh, our government did, um, but that uh, maybe they have a sense of relief that maybe they knew a brother that was killed on the battlefield that didn't get to come home, but know now that um, there's folks out there still looking for them. God, I pray for um, I pray for those that gave that sacrifice of service, um, not in death, but in service to their country, where it may have affected uh, a relationship, a marriage, um, a relationship between uh, your children, um, but that they can know that um, their sacrifice, um, though it may have been tough, um, ultimately, Lord, that you can heal and restore every one of those uh, issues that they may be going through or struggling with. Mm-hmm. So God, we're so thankful um, that you love us. We're so thankful of the sacrifice that you made uh, by sending Jesus to die on the cross, um, because ultimately the loss that we see here in this world is nothing compared to the sacrifice that Jesus made that took away our sins. And so God, we love you for that. Uh, we love you uh, for the grace you continue to show us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Mm-hmm. Thank you, John, and uh, thank you, thank you, veterans. Thank yeah. you, thank you, veterans, for serving. And if you're listening, and you're thinking, man, that you know, why would they go to that much trouble to go find a dead body 50 years ago? Because every life matters. They were created in God's image, and Jesus died for them. Thank you, veterans, for serving our country, both those active and those who passed away. Thank you for listening to Solid Steps Radio.